Welcome to Walden Wednesday here on the mountain. Brett here to inspire you on our journey together to connect with nature for mindfulness and personal transformation, naturally. Thanks for showing up today. I want to reward you with something a little different than what we typically experience during our traditional meditation time here at Mount Zenden. In past episodes, we've occasionally shared passages from Walden and other great writings and literature relating to cultivating the rich wisdom, mindfulness, and simplicity found in nature. We're going to start offering more of these classics set in nature on a regular basis to help still your heart and mind to just absorb the thoughts and ideas, the philosophy and writings of some of the greatest thinkers who ever lived. <laughs> in the background, you can hear Dahlia. One of our precious pups uh, who's here in the studio today just fell asleep and, pardon her, she's snoring. I think she'd rather be out hiking. Hang in there, Dahlia. Uh, where was I? Oh yeah, we're just going to offer more of these classics set in nature. And then, at the end of the readings, we're going to give you a little more time just to allow these treasures to settle into your soul and perhaps become a part of you. In 1845, American naturalist, poet, writer, and philosopher... Henry David Thoreau decided to try a grand experiment. In his own words, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. For years now, I've found myself drawn to the beautiful wisdom and simplicity of this idea and I want to share it today with you and, and also in upcoming episodes. And um, we're going to start calling this Walden Wednesdays. And if you're getting this on a Thursday, I apologize in advance, but uh, it's still a Walden Wednesday as far as this show is called. As you listen to today's offering, you might want to ask yourself this simple question. What do I really need? What do I really need to live the life that I was born for? So, without further ado... Dahlia and I give you a passage from Walden, or Life in the Woods, by Henry David Thoreau. And this is taken from the first chapter called Economy. I think we may safely trust a good deal more than we do. We may waive just so much care of ourselves as we honestly bestow elsewhere. Nature is as well adapted to our weakness as to our strength. The incessant anxiety and strain of some is a well-nigh incurable form of disease. We are made to exaggerate the importance of what work we do, and yet how much is not done by us. Or, what if we had been taken sick? How vigilant we are! determined not to live by faith if we can avoid it, all the day long on the alert. At night, we unwillingly say our prayers and commit ourselves to uncertainties. So thoroughly and sincerely are we compelled to live, reverencing our life and denying the possibility of change. This is the only way, we say, but there are as many ways as there can be drawn radii from one center, and all change is a miracle to contemplate. But it is a miracle which is taking place every instant. Confucius said, To know that we know what we know, and that we do not know what we do not know, 
That is true knowledge. When one man has reduced a fact of the imagination to be a fact to his understanding, I foresee that all men at length establish their lives on that basis. Let us consider for a moment what most of the trouble and anxiety which I have referred to is about, and how much it is necessary that we be troubled, or at least careful. It would be some advantage to live a primitive and frontier life, though in the midst of an outward civilization, if only to learn what are the gross necessaries of life and what methods have been taken to obtain them, or even to look over the old day books of the merchants to see what it was that men most commonly bought at the stores, what they stored, that is, what are the grossest groceries. For the improvements of ages have but little influence on the essential laws of man's existence, as our skeletons, probably, are not to be distinguished from those of our ancestors. By the words, necessary of life, I mean whatever, of all that man obtains by his own exertions has been from the first, or from long use has become so important to human life that few, if any, whether from savageness or poverty or philosophy, ever attempt to do without it. To many creatures there is in this sense but one necessary of life, food. To the bison of the prairie, it is a few inches of palatable grass, with water to drink, unless he seeks the shelter of the forest or the mountain's shadows. None of the brute creation requires more than food and shelter. The necessaries of life for man in this climate may, accurately enough, be distributed under the several heads of food, shelter, clothing, and fuel. For not till we have secured these are we prepared to entertain the true problems of life with freedom and a prospect of success. Man has invented not only houses, but clothes and cooked food, and possibly from the accidental discovery of the warmth of fire and the consequent use of it, at first a luxury arose the present necessity to sit by it. We observe cats and dogs acquiring the same second nature. By proper shelter and clothing, we legitimately retain our own internal heat. But with an excess of these, or of fuel that is, with an external heat greater than our own internal, may not cookery properly be said to begin? Darwin, the naturalist, says of the inhabitants of Tierra del Fuego, that while his own party, who were well clothed and sitting close to a fire, were far from too warm, these naked savages, who were farther off, were observed to his great surprise, quote, to be streaming with perspiration at undergoing such a roasting. So we are told the New Hollander goes naked with impunity, while the European shivers in his clothes. Is it impossible to combine the hardiness of these savages with the intellectualness of the civilized man? According to Liebig, man's body is a stove, and food the fuel which keeps up the internal combustion in the lungs. In cold weather we eat more, in warm, less. The animal heat is the result of a slow combustion, and disease and death take place when this is too rapid. Or for want of fuel, or from some defect in the draft, the fire goes out. Of course the vital heat is not to be confounded with fire, but so much for analogy. It appears, therefore, from the above list that the expression animal life is nearly synonymous with the expression animal heat. For while food may be regarded as the fuel which keeps up the fire within us, and fuel serves only to prepare that food or to increase the warmth of our bodies by additional from without, 
shelter and clothing also serve only to retain the heat thus generated and absorbed. The grand necessity, then, for our bodies is to keep warm, to keep the vital heat in us. What pains we accordingly take, not only with our food and clothing and shelter, but with our beds, which are our night clothes, robbing the nests and breasts of birds to prepare this shelter within a shelter, as the mole has its bed of grass and leaves at the end of its burrow. The poor man is wont to complain that this is a cold world, and to cold, no less physical than social, we refer directly a great part of our ales. The summer in some climates makes possible to man a sort of Elysian life. Fuel, except to cook his food, is then unnecessary. The sun is his fire, and many of the fruits are sufficiently cooked by its rays. While food generally is more various and more easily obtained, and clothing and shelter are wholly, or half, unnecessary. At the present day, and in this country, I find by my own experience a few implements, a knife, an axe, a spade, a wheelbarrow, etc. And for the studious, lamplight, stationery, and access to a few books ranked next to necessaries and can all be obtained at a trifling cost. Yet some, not wise, go to the other side of the globe, to barbarous and unhealthy regions, and devote themselves to trade for ten or twenty years in order that they may live, that is, keep comfortably warm and die in New England at last. The luxuriously rich are not simply kept comfortably warm, but unnaturally hot, as I implied before. They are cooked, of course, a la mode. Cooked a la mode. I love it. I love Mr. Thoreau's unique sense of humor. <laughs> so, did you make a mental list of what you really absolutely need to live the life you were born for? And I'm not talking about just living, but the, what you need to grow and thrive. I hope it includes more time here at Mountains and Den. And I hope you enjoyed today's selection and that it gave you some food for thought to chew on throughout your day. Hey, thanks so much for the gift of your time here today. There's no one else on earth quite like you. May you never lose your sense of purpose 
and may your life be filled with reverence and awe at the indescribable marvels, large and small, that this world has to offer. Remember, life is a gift, nature's a gift, and you are a gift back to the world. Have a great day, and we'll see you back here Monday.